0: This is an Australian Museum podcast. Welcome to Live Talks at the AM, recorded in front of a live audience at the Australian Museum in Sydney. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Australian Museum. I'm Kim McKay, the Director and CEO, and it's my great pleasure to uh, welcome you officially to the museum today, but also to acknowledge that today we're meeting on the land of the Gadigal people, and to pay my respects to elders past and present and emerging. And as I always say, we're very lucky here at the museum to have some wonderful emerging leaders, many of whom contributed to put together the extraordinary Unsettled show that just opened uh, on Friday night here. And if you haven't had time yet to pop down, please go and see Unsettled. And Laura McBride just walked in, who is our director of First Nations. Welcome, Laura, who curated that exhibition. I was just talking about and you've done the most extraordinary job and it was thrilling over the weekend, I know, to see all those people come in. So it's a very significant time for the museum, but also as we approach Reconciliation Action Week next week that uh, we have more conversations with our First Nations people. And it's only, I think, through better education and understanding that we can arrive at a good shared future together. So this is the second of our Lunchtime conversation series in 21, where we're focusing on First Nations visionaries and innovators. And these are some of the people who are featured in the Westpac Long Gallery in uh, our 200 Treasures exhibition. So if you walk around on level one there, you'll see those people featured and you can learn more about them. So for over 60,000 years, this landscape has honed the athletic prowess of First Nations people. And original accounts of traditional games being seen played were recorded in the 19th century by early settlers, government officials, scientists, missionaries. And even games such as AFL are said to have their roots in those early, um, in those First Nations games. So since colonisation, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have been at the vanguard of Australian sport from the first Antipodean cricket tour of England in 1868 with its all-Aboriginal lineup. It must have been extraordinary. To Jim Sharman's boxing troops, to the Eller Brothers, to Sam Riley, and, of course, most recently to Ash Barty. From kickoff to siren, sport has often proven to be a great leveller in Australian society. But in recent times, well right through history, actually, controversy has accompanied the success of our First Nations sports stars, whether it be even Gula Cawley playing to a segregated crowd in the 1972 South African Open, or Nicky Winmar pointing proudly to his black skin, who can forget that image, after opposition spectators hurled racial abuse at him in 1993. And for this afternoon's Lunchtime Conversation Series, I'm delighted to share the room with Bianca Hunt and Professor John Maynard, who will really unpack some of these issues and ask whether anything has really changed. Now, let me tell you about John Maynard, for those of you who don't know him. He's a Warrami man, and he gained his PhD back in 2003, examining the rise of early Aboriginal political activism. He was guest speaker at our last conversation series. We missed a year because of COVID, uh, where he shared his knowledge on Charlie Perkins, of course, who was not only an Aboriginal activist, but a great soccer player. We were just talking the other night down in Unsettled, John. John was telling me about how he um, was offered to play for Manchester United. He received a firm offer to play for Man United and gave it up because he missed home and wanted to come back to Australia. Uh, It's such a great story, isn't it, about that man and all of his talents. Now, John is currently Chair of Aboriginal History at the University of Newcastle and Director of the Puri Global Indigenous and Diaspora Research Studies Centre. He has held several major roles and served on numerous prominent organisations and committees, including as Deputy Chairperson of IATSIS, a member of the Indigenous Higher Education Advisory Council, as well as the New South Wales Fulbright Selection Committee. His publications have concentrated on the intersections of Aboriginal political and social history and include the Aboriginal Soccer Tribe, a celebration of Aboriginal involvement with the World Game, and how the multicultural football fields of post-World War II Australia provided a haven, haven To Aboriginal players from the racism in the nation. He is also, as it turns out, fortunately for us today, mad about sport. (laughs) Not such an unusual Australian in that way, John, I must say. (laughs) Um, And he's sitting down this afternoon, of course, with another sporting fanatic in Bianca Hunt, who's a passionate presenter of NITV's Yokyai Footy. She's a proud Kamilaroi woman. She's also Barkindji, Blarong, and Wojak. So you can say those better than I can in a minute, I'm (laughs) sure. (laughs) I'm practicing, but not enough, obviously. She has a dual degree in business and creative industries, and she's the former co-chair of the Australian Indigenous Mentoring Experience. And she herself is not one to shy away from a fight. Most recently, going toe-to-toe to call out the bigotry of AFL commentator Sam Newman for comments he made about the murder of George Floyd in 2020. Mm. So we've got two passionate sporting people. I'm actually quite a passionate sports person. I spent the early part of first decade of my career in sport uh, here and internationally, water sports mostly. But the saddest day I had working internationally was... I, when the Sydney Olympic Games was on, and I was on the, um, one of the Olympic bid committees. I was on the community committee for the Sydney Olympic Games. And then when it happened, I was actually working in Sao Paulo in Brazil. And so I was watching the Sydney Olympics on my hotel TV, which meant I got to watch beach volleyball <laughs> constantly. <laughs> and only beach volleyball and a bit of (laughs) soccer thrown in. So I missed the extraordinary um, medal-winning moments from Cathy Freeman. And when I saw that wonderful documentary recently Mm. on the ABC, Mm. um, what I missed flooded back to me. And in fact, I'm hoping that we might be able to show at this museum, they're going to uh, create an experience out of that film, and we've Mm. been talking to them about showing it here in the future. And, of course, growing up, I watched... I'm a great tennis fan and player. Well, I'm not a great tennis player, let me tell you now, <laughs> but it used to be not too bad in the day. And Yvonne Corley uh, was my hero uh, to see this extraordinary young Australian woman performing at such a high level on the world stage always. And I'd sit up late to watch Wimbledon with my mother, you know, at one and two in the morning and was so proud of her and her mm. achievements. So yes, it's interesting isn't it how in Australia if you're good at sport we might adopt you. But of course we have series a lot of examples where we haven't and what happened to the wonderful Adam Goods is mm. very recent and very telling in that regard. So just a bit of housekeeping Letting you know that today's talk will be recorded by the Australian Museum and maybe broadcast as part of our podcast series, which is available on the AM website. And at the end, I'll be back to chat to you more. And with that, I'm going to hand it over to our extraordinary panel today, Bianca and also John. Over to you. Awesome.
1: Thank, Thank you great. so much. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for having us today. My name's Bianca Hunt, as mentioned, proud Kimilore and Barkindji woman on my father's side and a proud Baladunga and Wajak woman on my mother's side. That's two different sides of this country. Somehow they met in the heart and Alice <laughs> had my eldest sister and then moved down to Brisbane, otherwise known as Mianjin. Um, and yeah, it's a massive privilege for me to be here. And of course, I can't start this conversation Without acknowledging the traditional custodians on the land in which we gather today and pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. And also noting that I am a visitor to this country, um, but I've also had the privilege of living here for a few years. Um, I'm currently based in Mianjin at the moment as well, back on country, back home. After a very um, exciting time down in Nam last year, moved uh, about two weeks before lockdown started. So to um, work on Yokai footy, um, and as much as that was an incredible experience, unfortunately, um, I just couldn't move back down to Nam. It was a bit too much for me to have to be there by myself without family or friends. So, at least I've been able to start off my career within media and I'm very privileged to be here today. And yeah, something that I'm very excited about, I'm here with royalty, Um, literally (laughs) talking and listening, I've only, we've only had a few conversations and it's just, an you're like an encyclopedia, it's incredible, like honestly, I think you'll learn so much today, I'm going to be actively learning, so the questions that I'm posing, I am genuinely wanting to learn from him because... I mean, this is going to be an incredible experience, but also it's, this is a sort of history that we don't actually get passed on. And mm. so this is a very important conversation to have. Um, and, of course, it is sparked by two very influential women, Yvonne yep. Gulagong mm. and Kathy Freeman. We're not going to just talk about these women, but it's about the conversation that it's going to spark and has come from. Sport has bec- been a massive conduit for Absolutely. our people to be recognised, right? Yep. And to be seen within this space because I know growing, up, um, I always got the kind of comments, oh, but you're a black fella, why aren't you good at sport, you know? Um, And I always felt, because I was a bigger girl growing up, it took a long time for me to actually feel comfortable playing sport and because I wasn't fast, or because I wasn't winning or because, you know, I, I wasn't as talented or seen as the little magic girl that was playing sport because I was a black girl, yeah. you know, so it was expected, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it took me a while to actually warm up to sport. So my journey with it kind of started with my brother. He's an AFL player, not in the elite sort of period, but he's had a ball in his hands ever since he was two years old. Um, And for a long time I kind of envied him because he was the talented one. He was the one that was the sport player, I was the creative kid, and for him it was, you know, our whole family, every Tuesday night, Thursday night, Saturday, we're watching him, you know, and everything was about him. All the money was invested in him to be this (laughs) massive (laughs) AFL player because the pathways for blackfellas a lot of the time was if you're good at sport, there's a potential, and this is how you can be seen. You can be signed. That's a really big thing, especially with men and football. Um, So that was a clear pathway for him, whereas creative industries, for me, wasn't a massive pathway. We didn't know if money would be into it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a very difficult life going in through the creative space. Um, So it was for a long time that I kind of envied that sporting sort of world. And then I got to play footy with him as an 11-year-old playing under 10s, because I'm only five foot, tall. So they were like, no, she looks little enough to play this sport. She'll be right. Um, They all thought I was like seven, but that's fine. Um, And my love for for AFL began, you know, and then because the pathway for women wasn't actually there for a long period of time, um, I wasn't able to play after being 11. I think it was 12 years old is when they cut off girls from playing AFL. Um, So I went into umpiring and I did a bit of that and just kept doing my creative stuff, went into dance and everything. And then it wasn't until I was a woman and we found, you know, AFL became a thing. Um, And in my second year of uni, I started playing AFL. My dad was playing for the same team, you know, in a master's sense and my brother as well. So there was kind of that really cool connection that my family had to a footy club. And that was my experience kind of starting played five years of women's AFL, my second year of footy, that's when AFLW came. Yeah. So I finally saw a pathway for someone like me or my next generation coming through. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of why I'm really passionate about sport now and having the opportunity to be on Yokai and to learn about our commitment. But the main reason I wanted to be on that show was to show how important our people are within those spaces. And we're going to talk about that, you know, we can't celebrate politics and sport. Unfortunately, yep. we're political, like like you were saying Unc, before, we're born political. <laughs> so not. this is going to be a really interesting conversation. And the next 45 or so minutes, we're going to discuss, of course, we're going to kick it off with learning a bit about Yvonne Gulugong and Kathy Freeman. Mm. And then we're going to talk about the different sports and what's happened across this period of time. So, Ankh? Who is Cathy Freeman? Yeah,
2: sure. And also, oh, yeah. I'd like, I'd like to, just <laughs> as a my man, also pay my respects to the traditional owners and also their ancestral lands, within which i have most honoured to be here as a visitor, and also our elders both past and present. And I think we should touch on, before I go into Cathy okay. Freeman, is the whole aspect, and Bianca, you've touched on this, our really rich connection to sport and the opportunities as it raises, but there's a whole history of the denied opportunities for us across the sporting arena, particularly until the 70s when the doors began to open up. And you look at Eddie Gilbert who was regarded as the fastest bowler in the world and bowled Don Bradman for a duck. But he couldn't get picked for Australia, and that was the Bodyline series when Australia was under the pump of getting these missiles hurled down at him, yet they had a guy who was the fastest bowler in the world, but they wouldn't pick him, Australia, because he was black. He used to play for Queensland, but he wasn't allowed to stay in the same hotel as the Queensland plays. He had the camp out in the yard. That's the reality of his experiences. Another great athlete for us, Wally MacArthur, yeah. who was in the same home, St Francis home in South Australia, was Charles Perkins and Johnny Moriarty and Gordon Briscoe. Wally MacArthur, as a teenager, was regarded as the fastest teenager in the world. And was record. he, he actually won the Australian Under-19 Championship, 100 metres and uh, demolished the field but couldn't get picked for Australia. Kevin Gosper finished second in that under-19 championship and he went on to get a silver medal for Australia at the Olympic Games but Wally MacArthur was never picked. Wally finished up going to England and turning professional and also played rugby league where he was regarded as the greatest winger in the world. But these were the barriers we faced. And we talk about AFL or NRL, the doors were firmly locked. You could t- count on two hands the amount of Aboriginal players in both of those codes who got a go at the highest level up till the 1970s. And it was started, the, 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 the gates slowly opened then and there was a trickle of players coming through until the floodgates burst open. And the reality is across the last 40 years in both of those codes, the greatest players on the planet in AFL and rugby league had been Aboriginal players. Mm. And that was the difference that happened when those gates opened. Sorry to divert a little bit, but certainly going on to Cathy Freeman. Yes, Cathy, what what an absolute hero, not just to us as Aboriginal people, but to this nation. Cathy Freeman won a Commonwealth Games gold medal at the 1990 Auckland Games in the 4x400 as a 16-year-old. She went on to win two more Commonwealth gold medals, She won two world championship gold medals. She was a silver medalist at the um, 96 Atlanta Olympic Games and, of course, the 2000 Olympic Games. And, you know, you talk about the Melbourne Cup, the the race that stopped the nation. That race of Cathy Freeman's in 2000, that stopped this nation. I was actually living in Adelaide at the time and I went down to the Seacliff pub to watch that. That pub was absolutely jam-packed. I can't tell you, I've played sports, I was a first grade soccer player myself and played lots of sports and you know that adrenaline and that anxiousness before a big game, I was so wound up at that pub for Cathy because the pressure on that girl, she was carrying this entire country and the pressure from the Aboriginal perspective, this was for her people and I was just so nervous for her watching that broadcast and When she came to that bend and then hit that bend and took off, I can still feel the, the, look, all the hairs on the back of my neck stood on end. You know, like, gay girl, (laughs) (laughs) you know, gay a good thing, you know. And as she took off, it was just an explosion, and, and it's just incredible relief for me. And I actually thought. What must it be for that girl, you know? What must she be feeling at this time because she was carrying the entire nation? And she'd stood up. You know, you look at the, it was the 98 Commonwealth Games where she carried the Aboriginal flag and copped so much... You know, harassment through that, um, what's it, what was his name, Arthur Tunstall, the boxing uh, aficionado and also had Commonwealth Games official attacked her in the press, you know, and Cathy was proud of who she was and it wasn't going to stop her. She'd taken the Aboriginal flag. And that is um, who Cathy Freeman was and will remain, not just for us, as I said, you know, as Aboriginal people, all this nation, she's an international figure. Mm. That's the, the, the status that, that certainly she got to. Um, Yvonne Goolagong Cawley, 30 years before, you know, you look at um, two Wimbledon titles, three Australian Grand Slams, um, the French Grand Slam, a whole host of tennis majors. And I mean, I, I look back at Yvonne and I think, um, what a beautiful tennis player, a classic tennis player, um, class, grace. And there was none of the screaming or roaring or grunting or smashing rackets <laughs> or you know, attacking the referees that was, as far as that was concerned. that was not part of you know Yvonne Gulagong and um, she certainly was an icon for us um, to certainly you know, stand up and take pride and encourage Aboriginal sporting involvement because she was the start you know and we 'll talk a little bit more about Lionel Rose and Darby McCarthy after this but in the 1960s of Aboriginal sportsmen and women who got to the extreme top um, in world uh, sporting events and and Yvonne was one of those. But it wasn't without certain criticism as well but in Yvonne's case it was for going to South Africa. I mean there were a lot of Aboriginal activists, I know Charles Perkins was one who came out and strongly criticised Yvonne for going to South Africa and playing tennis in that apartheid, strict apartheid state you know, uh, at a, you know the, the shocking segregation of black people there. So, and I mean, Yvonne still carries that to this day. I mean, those criticisms, certainly from Aboriginal activists of that time period. But it was a time of great social and political change, the 60s and the 70s. Now, from our perspective, you know, Charles Perkins and the Freedom Ride, the Gurindji walk-off at Wave Hill, the 67 referendum, on through to the Aboriginal Tent embassy. Um, and overseas, I mean, you had this highly visible civil rights movement. Dr Martin Luther King, Malcolm mm-hmm. X was a great hero, certainly for me and many others. I mean, Gary Foley was one who certainly read Malcolm X's manifesto. And Muhammad Ali, you know, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. And I mean, the, the incredible uplift you got from a sporting person like Muhammad Ali is refusal to go and fight in Vietnam, you know, lost his title. So this was the time that, that Evelyn was, you know, was in. That, that time of great change. So she was certainly tied to that.
1: Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And even... Um Talking about with uh, Kathy Freeman, I was I remember that year because it was 2000. I was only four, um, and it's funny the things that you do remember when you're super little, like those history-making times. I was going to a First Nations kindergarten, right. and so that meant that you know I was in a in a kindy with every other kid is a little Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander kid, and so it was important. They found that to be a very important thing for us to actually learn about and see. Mm. And there was a point where um, she was doing a lap around, I can't exactly remember, where was it? The, um, Olympic,
2: the Olympic Stadium. Yeah, yeah. and we, we yeah. got,
1: no, there was one, they did it in Brizzy this oh, year, right. so there were Oh, touring. that's the Commonwealth
2: Games. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah well, yeah. it was
1: Mustard and Columbo. Either yeah, yeah. way, there was, yep. I remember going there and we were yeah. standing at a fence and all of us, like, really, like, yeah, this yeah. big, like, f- looking through the thing. And it was just a massive point in time for us to be like, oh, she looks just like me, you know, yeah, like, yeah, I, I yeah, can yeah. be that too, like, I can do that. Um, and so it became an achievable point of sure. reference for yep, us, you yep, know, it's like, yep. okay, we see it, we can be it. And I think that's a very common thing for a lot of the industries our mob come into these days. Um, and as in, like, if you can see it, you can be it. If you can't see it, you've got to be it. So you've got to yep. find that way. And I think mm. a lot of these women and men who we're talking about today have started that we talked about the uh, what was going on internationally at that time and the history mm. that was being made in australia mm. what was that we talked you talked a little bit about the backlash of her wearing the flag mm what was the reactions from general audiences? Like, not broadcasters speaking, people speaking on it. What do you, what do you remember about that time, people talking about these iconic moments in our history, yeah. when Yvonne's winning, when Cathy's winning? Yeah, yeah. What was that like?
2: Well, certainly in Yvonne's time, I mean, and that's also impacted onto Lionel Rose. They became Australians, you know. They were accepted as Australians. They were an Australianist success. Mm-hmm. That was the, certainly the difference in the, in the 60s and the early 70s in regards to that. Um, certainly in Cathy's time, I can, you know, Bruce McEvaney, the, the sports commentator, yeah. I mean, he called it the greatest sporting moment in Australia's history. And I mean, I think that reflects change over 30 years as mm-hmm. well, that, um, you know, Yvonne, Yvonne and Lionel, and certainly uh, are being um, you know, made and accepted and portrayed as Australian, where um, Cathy was open and out as Aboriginal and yeah. a great Aboriginal sporting hero. So I think, and I mean, I think that was part of her insisting, yeah. you know, on that space as as part of that. So that also reflects change, but. Um, and great change, but in saying that, as we both know, there's a long way to go in any sphere, not just sports, but all spheres in in regarding Aboriginal people in this country, you know, for for justice and equality, because anything you want to measure in this country, whether it's housing, employment, education, health, highest rates of incarceration in this country, anything you want to measure, we've got the most outstanding figures of, um, you know, yeah, that need to be made up, you know, and fixed. So yeah, yeah.
1: and I think um, it's quite an interesting one because to us, I feel like it's just like, um, what's the word? It, you, it, you visibly see it, so you know, right? Yeah. I think the funny thing, and obviously with the people we're going to be talking about, you can visibly see that they're blackfellas, right? They're, they're yeah, Aboriginal. Yeah. But it's like it's a surprise or something. So, like, for instance, Kathy, you see her as a visibly black woman running through, and then it's, like, shocked that she's wearing... She's flying the Aboriginal flag beside her. It's like, yeah, okay, she's representing Australia, but she's also representing her culture. And I think I've seen, especially across the years within sport, is that if you have an Australian flag with you, you're proud of your country. Mm. But if you have an Aboriginal flag with you, you're mm. protesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, that's what is way, that for you? Yeah, <laughs> that's
2: right. Yeah, that's right. That, that's the way it's framed. I mean, you know, you can be proud of your country, but you're proud of your culture Yeah. and recognise that. I mean, this still the greatest treasure this country possesses is 65,000 years of Aboriginal cultural connection to this place. That's the country's greatest treasure. Promote that, support that. Um, celebrate that, and, uh, and as I said, that's the, that's the thing where you can draw strength from. I'd, I'd just like to touch on, I mean, I touched, I mean, I come through a school system in the 50s and 60s, and we weren't in it. I mean, uh, you look at the history mm-hmm. text of my time, as far as we were concerned, we belonged to the Stone Age and we were a dying race. Um, I switched off school from the time I walked into the, through the gate in kindergarten. I grew up, my father was a top class jockey, I wrote a book about Aboriginal jockeys, and we're going to talk a little bit more about Darby McCarthy, one of them, and at Newcastle I grew up on a race course with my father who was a prominent Koori jockey, but there was also Gordon Taylor, Stan Johnson, Davey Matthews, Normie Rose, a whole host of Aboriginal jockeys riding there, but where were they in the Australian racing histories? And that's why I wrote a book about, you know, Aboriginal stars of the turf, which I also wrote about Darby McCarthy <laughs> and our long connection to the stock industry. They talk about Australia was carried on the sheep's back, it was carried on on black's backs. The reality is in the stock industry, because they wouldn't have had that industry without our input with Aboriginal stockmen and women. But certainly for me, racing was, that's the driver in writing that particular book. And that's what drives me to do what I do um, in putting our histories back in to the Australian history historical uh, story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of the stories that aren't really heard, I think it's important to note the fact that we have had 52 First Nations Olympians, Mm -hmm. and Mm. the amount of people that we've heard about is literally a handful Mm. when you talk about them. Why is it that we don't know enough about these 52 First Nations yeah, Olympians? Maybe
2: there's a book in that. Maybe I should Absolutely. get. work that's it.
1: You heard it right here. It's coming out.
0: <laughs> I better that's start. Your book? I better
2: start now. But th- this is true. I mean, uh, and um, Kim spoke. Kim, uh, Samantha Riley was one, you know, mm-hmm. a silver and bronze medal medalist at the Olympic Games. Um, um, David Ferris, yeah. as, as a gold medalist, at the, uh, as a hockey player, not just a runner, which he came to later on, but there were some others. And I mean, I, I was just thinking, and you know, I met this, John Kinsella, I did a study on um, Aboriginal servicemen and women with Mick Dodson, and we did a number of books, I mean, which, you know, was to highlight and... and and showcase Aboriginal involvement in every military campaign this country's fought in, from the Boer War right through to Afghanistan and Iraq today. But, you know, our, our military heroes were over. Look, John Kinsler, um, was went to Vietnam, but he also represented Australia in the 68 and 72 Olympic Games as a wrestler, you know, and a great wrestler. And again, he's, he's disappeared from history. But the, the, um, I was just thinking... Um, it was basketball and Michael Armat and the boxers Adrian Blair and, and Francis Roberts at the 64 Tokyo Olympics. They were boxers that were the first to get a go, you know, as far as the Olympic Games has opened. I mean, and I mentioned before about Wally McArthur, the tragedy of that young fella back in the early 50s, should have been on the Olympic stage as a runner and what a great athlete he was. And there's no doubt he would have featured in medals. Um, in the Olympic Games, particularly 52 and 56, if he had been encouraged and given a go. An absolute outstanding athlete.
1: Yeah, it's pretty incredible. And speaking of sporting greats, and you've mentioned both of them, Lionel Rose and Darby McCarthy, can you explain a little bit so everyone gets a bit of an understanding of both of these men?
2: Yeah, sure. Look, um, both were heroes to me, you know, as a a kid and certainly coming through as a teenager in the 60s. and I'll start with Lionel, I I had a scrapbook. I kept every cutting of Lionel Rose since his fight to win the Australian title against uh, Rocky Gattelari, which was a fight in Sydney, and I kept every cutting of Lionel's fight, so this man, I wish I still had it, (laughs) got thrown out at some point for our journey through life, but I had this massive scrapbook, and Lionel was such a hero. And I touched on that fight against Rocky Gattelari at the Sydney Stadium, which was intriguing. I, I, I listened to that fight on radio and um, what was intriguing was Lionel was from Victoria, a Melbourne fighter, Rocky Gattolari was a Sydney fighter, but the person all the crowd was cheering for was Lionel Rose. And I mean this was the first for me to listen to. The ones they were attacking was Rocky Gattolari because he was an Italian he was the one copping all the abuse, even from the Sydney crowd. So Re- Lionel was suddenly elevated to Australian, and uh, Gadolari <laughs> was the foreign, except despite the fact that he was Australian, uh, Italian. And Lionel knocked out Rocky Gadolari, and uh, of course, he went on the next year to get a chance as a 19 year old to fight against fighting Arada in Tokyo. And they actually said Lionel had no hope fighting for the World Band and Weight. Title in, Harada had already won the flyweight world title and had been a bantamweight champion as well, and Lionel was at long odds. And again, it was a fight I listened to at the kitchen table with my father, and it was just an outstanding performance. And he won that world title. Later that year, he he wrote a book, Lionel Rose Australian, which is what I'm saying about being adopted into that space. Or well, Lionel's Australian. When he came back from Tokyo, there were a hundred thousand people. Lined the streets of Melbourne to welcome Lionel Rose back. Bigger crowd than greeted the Beatles. I mean, Lionel was absolutely gobsmacked. And yet he wrote this book and then he went on a tour of Australia and he came to Newcastle and I stood in a line, there's a Newcastle store called The Store that ran out of that uh, department store onto the street to go in and get Lionel to sign the book, which I've still got. And uh, he signed that particular book and um, I've still got that that. That thing. And then of course, he, uh, he held the title f- with fights against um, Alan Rudkin, Chuchu Castillo, um, Sakurai, another Japanese spider, and eventually lost the, the world title in a fight against Ruben Olivares. He should have went up a division to Featherweight. He, he should have been advised because he was wasting all the time. Um, but an incredible hero to Aboriginal Australia and I mean certainly an inspiration to me that here's a guy who's won a world title and he, he was just an incredible fighter. Darby McCarthy, I mean as I said I had a scrapbook of all Lionel's fights, Darby McCarthy, I had a big, it was a full page back page of the Daily Telegraph or the Daily Mirror, Sydney Papers, I'm not sure which, and it was Darby McCarthy, Aboriginal jockey, getting out of a chauffeur driven Rolls Royce, Chauffeur driven Rolls-Royce at Epsom in England, you know, and I had that pinned to me wall, you know, this is what <laughs> you can do. <laughs> and Darby, I mean, I've had the pleasure of interviewing Darby a number of times and sadly he died at late last year and a, a, a great loss to, to myself and his family and the Aboriginal community and this nation as a whole because he was such an outstanding individual. In my interviews, he come from Kunamulla, and in our interview he said, Brother, I come from Cunnamulla. We had a tin lean-to. Um, on one side was the sewage outlet and the other side was the garbage tip. It wasn't the top end of Cunnamulla. <laughs> <laughs> and that man went from there to living in a two-story mansion in Chantilly, France, with, I said, a chauffeur-driven Rolls-Royce, a French maid. He rode for the Wildensteins, the Rothschilds, Prince Ali Khan. He partied with Frank Sinatra and Mia Farrow, um, with Lee Marvin. I mean, Darb was an absolute celebrity, but he was also extremely proud of who he was. And there was an interview in the Courier-Mail in Brisbane where uh, some person in the public wrote in and he said to the paper and said I can't understand why they're always writing Darby McCarthy up and calling him an Aboriginal and an Aboriginal why do we need to know that he's Aboriginal can't they just say it's Darby McCarthy the jockey and Darby saw this he wrote a response into the Courier Mail and he said look I don't want to be unkind to the fellow writing in you know he, he's writing for his own reasons but just let me tell you I don't mind how many times they call me Aboriginal or an Aborigine. That's who I am and that's what I want to be known for. That's what I want to be called to inspire our people you know, to be and what they can be. And that's what Darby McCarthy was, an absolutely outstanding individual and a champ. You know, three Stradbrokes, a Brisbane Cup, Doombin 10,000, and here in Sydney in 1968, in the one afternoon, he won the two big group ones, the AJC Epsom and the AJC Derby in the one afternoon. Just an outstanding jockey and a great man, very proud man. Absolutely, and yeah. someone
1: we don't know enough about. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. You know, someone we should be celebrating as much as possible. Mm. I'm going to fast forward, because I think we, we're getting a 10-minute sort of call, right? <laughs> right. Um, I'm going to fast forward to some people that we might know a little bit more of. Um, 1993, we're in the MCG in Melbourne, Collingwood, St Kilda are playing, and Gilbert McAdams and Nikki Wimmer are subject to racism within mm. the stadium. Tell us a bit about it. <laughs> Look,
2: you, you, you try and understand what Nikki and Gilbert McAdams experienced that mm. day and they still talk about it the hurling of the absolute racial abuse that they t- those two men were subjected to, um, not just coming onto the field, but throughout that game, and both say to this day they were spat at and spat upon, frequently throughout that game. Gilbert makes Adam's dad come down from Alice Springs to watch his son play in that game. He was so visibly upset and crying he had to leave the ground because the, watching the, and listening to the abuse levelled at his son. But those two men that lifted them, I mean, they carried that game. They took the Brownlow medals for that game yeah. and completely won the game. And, and Nicky was blowing kisses to the crowd who continued to hurl abuse at him. And we know when he lifted that jumper up and pointed to his skin, this is who I am. I'm black man and I'm proud of it. That remains to this day, I think, as one of the greatest sporting moments in this country. Certainly against racism, and you think of this was our Muhammad Ali moment, as far as I'm concerned, when he came up and said, "I've got nothing against those Viet Cong," and a lot of the statements that Ali spoke of. Nicky Winmar's voice in what his actions were that day represented our moment um, in this country.
1: Absolutely, yeah. and. I've had the pleasure of working with both Gilly and Nikki, and just that kind of experience. For for one, like you know, I had Nikki coming onto the show and i remember getting told there were like nicky winmars coming in today and i was like oh my god what am i going to do <laughs> uh, like i don't i don't know like this is someone that's literally immortalized in a statue for Absolutely. one yeah. and that in itself yeah. is incredible but also he's someone that we saw growing up you know standing up for a, you know for our mob making sure that people knew that he was proud of who he was and that they weren't going to let him like let it get to him yeah. um and for me i'm, I'm pretty sure this this photo is probably the most shared photo when it comes to sport... ..and politics and all that. I think it's in almost every school. Like, I've seen it so many times in different schools, different Mm. offices... Yeah. ..because it's just a a massive statement, and the fact that it's still relevant today...
2: Will always be relevant. Yeah,
1: exactly. (laughs) Like, that's the thing. And at that point in time, do you think Australians understood how important that part in time of history in 93 would be even now today?
2: Well, when you look at it and, and the impact it made, but we're still facing it.
1: Adam Goods went through the same thing.
2: Adam Goods, an absolute champion player, a gentleman in the way he was treated, not just by the crowd, but by the Australian media, you know? I mean, I'm not saying everybody, but there was this herd mentality and this mass attack to bring Adam Goods down and which had forced him from the game. That's the tragedy because the game lost one of its greatest stars. And that's just demonstrated from Nicky Winmar's time through to Adam Goods how little progress has been made. And I think we, we're going to go on and talk about Latrell Mitchell yeah. as well, who stood up recently against, you know, the, the attacks against him in social media. So these things haven't healed and it just shows the immaturity within the country still. And where we need to, if we if we want to join hands and heal in this country, we've got to take those steps. You can't sweep these things under the carpet. You've got to educate a wider society on what has happened to us in this country since 1788. Our people, our communities, carry intergenerational trauma. That's the reality of our experience. These things need to be healed. And if the country has the opportunity to come together and heal from the past, we can then move forward uh, to share um, in a future that is just and equitable to all Australians. But we have to be open to that. Absolutely. And that's the reality. And these people, these sporting heroes, men and women, over such long period of time, illustrate the hurdles, the triumphs, and the tragedy of Aboriginal experiences. And I think uh, we need to promote that more... And uh, again, just hope that the country can come to that point where we can heal and move forward.
1: Absolutely. And I think, even just like for context, because I used to do it just to break it down as a very simple thing. That was what, 2010 when the booing was starting with Goody? Yeah. Um, you know, it's 2021, yeah. so <laughs> yes, it has been a decent amount of time. And, and to give context, like, I was still in high school in 2010, you know. Yeah. I was just, I don't even know what grade that was, maybe 11, I think. Yeah. Um. Between then and now, like, I've been able to go to uni. Yeah. You know, I've been able to be in broadcasting, worked for multiple organisations. Mm. And throughout that whole time, not even at school, because I remember when that happened and you saw it and watched it and you could feel it mm. and then it felt like you were that, little kid being bullied on a in the school grounds because mm. I was still being bullied for my coloured skin and being Aboriginal being a different black mm. um, compared to everyone else, which it didn't really mm. make sense to me because I was like, what do you mean? Like, we, mm. we should be aiming for educations. We should be aiming for all of these amazing opportunities. Like, you speak about all the sporting greats and the spaces that they've been in. Yeah. We're in these spaces that weren't made for us. So, yeah. yeah, it's going to be a bit confronting when you see us in these spaces. Yeah. But at the same time, the fact that all of this hasn't really changed that much. Much,
2: that's right. You know, because
1: Latrell Mitchell, that was this year. Yeah. Like, that's... It's so... Like, and even with the documentaries, like... With Goodzee, if anyone hasn't watched the final quarter or the Australian Dream, definitely check it out. I've only been able to watch the um, final quarter once. Yeah. It was very confronting, um, yeah. and it was too Powerful. much. Yeah. It was too much trauma yeah, to because yeah. it felt like it was you, yeah, and yeah. you were kind of like, I don't know very what amazing. I'm watching. Yeah, yeah. And the point in history because it was so documented, yeah. and also being someone within media, I was so hesitant to come into this space yeah. for a long time because I didn't want to be subject to that. And I yeah. knew being a young black woman yeah. in an a fell space, very male-dominated, very white, very, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. this, unless you're a player, you're not getting looked at. Yeah, and it's
2: still good. Look, we've seen the Collingwood experience in recent times. Exactly. I mean, so yep. you, you scratch the surface, it's still there. Yep. So we've got a long way to go.
1: We've got <laughs> such a long way to go. Um, but where do we go? I think that's where we can wrap it up. Yeah. Where do we go? What well, I we think
2: do? the museum's taken the great step with Unsettled. People should all see this exhibition. And that's a starting point, to open up conversations to a point where we can heal. Mm. Truth telling and getting that process going in this country. So again, Kim and and certainly Laura, I mean, all the team, and I I had the good fortune to see the, the exhibition last week with the preview and all that. This is an incredible beginning, incredible courage to show and put this together and certainly from our voices and our perspective, so critically important. So uh, I can't uh, congratulate everybody enough, but encourage everybody to go and have a look at it. And certainly I think it, co- it will play a part in changing some people's opinions and, and getting the conversation started. So Absolutely. a good starting point.
0: That's it. <laughs> so thank you all so much for coming and please give our wonderful speakers another round of Thank you. This has been an Australian Museum podcast.